T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Good morning and welcome to the morning briefing for Friday, September 7th. 2018. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer, and coming up on today's show, it's a big Friday extravaganza. We've got mixed martial arts legend, five-time UFC champion, six-time if you count uh, the interim belt that he held at one point, Randy the Natural Couture. He's a member of the team heading up Merging Vets and Players, an organization that we've talked about before with Nate Boyer and Denver Morris. They've got an amazing contest going on right now where you, for just a $10 donation, win 100 entries into a drawing for a wonderful prize. What is that prize? It's airfare, a hotel, and getting front row seats to Bellator 206, Musasi versus McDonald, and you'll be sitting right next to Randy. We're going to talk to him about that as well as his Army career. Some people don't know. He spent six years in the Army. It's actually kind of where he took up wrestling, made the uh, Army Wrestling Championships, and then made it as an alternate on the Olympic team before earning a full scholarship to Oklahoma State University. What did he do in the Army? Well, you're going to find out in just a little while. He's in our very next segment. Today, we're also going to talk to the VFW. It's Friday, and that means it's Veterans of Forum Wars Day here on The Morning Briefing. They're going to be in studio to talk to us about the latest and greatest items taking place that the venerable VSO is focusing on. And then we're going to finish off the show with a fantastic interview with Brian from Flags of Valor and Jen from the 9-11 Promise Run. Flags of Valor, previous guests of the show. If you ever come to our studio, you'll see a Flags of Valor flag sitting right in our front window. Flags of Valor has entered a team into Jen DePoto's 9-11 Promise Run, which is a 240-mile relay race between Washington, D.C. and Ground Zero in New York City. It kicks off this weekend. They're actually going to be running right by my house. And if you live anywhere on Route 1 between Washington, D.C. and New York City, you're going to have a chance to go out and cheer them on, too. So a very big, very full two-hour Friday show for you today. And we started off by welcoming super producer Jake Hughes to the show. Jake, how are you doing this morning, man? I'm doing fantastic. Eric, how are you? I'm doing okay. You know, I uh, went to get gas this morning. It appears that the uh, rental truck company near my house decided that they were going to fuel up each and every one of their rental trucks at the same gas station this morning. <laughs> so it took a little bit uh, extra time for me to get my car filled up with gas. But I did. I got down here. I finished my coffee while I was driving down, only to find that the coffee machine here, it's got coffee in it. But guess what, Jake? It's decaf. No. Worse. There's no cups. Oh, no. How am I supposed to drink coffee if there's no cups? And then I remembered uh, that there are actually mugs in a a cupboard here at the Entercom DC facility, but I didn't want to waste the time or take the time, I should say, doing that. So eh, no extra coffee this morning, but that's okay. Still excited. As I said, 
great guests coming up on the show. We've got the VFW coming on. We've got Flags of Valor and the 9-11 Promise run together. And Randy, the natural couture. I'm a big MMA fan. I've also worked within the sport a little bit, calling fights up in New York, uh, doing at least uh, at, at least doing one uh, reporting event for My MMA News, a great website out there. If you haven't checked that out, it's run by Marine Corps veteran Eric Koal mymmanews.com. I highly recommend if you're into MMA, checking it out because they cover not only the big things, they also cover all the local events. And there are a ton of local events taking place around the country. Their team is second to none in covering the up-and-comers in MMA as well as all the big names. I actually got to cover the press conference for uh, the Conor McGregor-Eddie Alvarez lightweight title fight that took place at Madison Square Garden, the first ever MMA event at Madison Square Garden. Uh, So that was great. I've also gotten to talk to a lot of MMA fighters because there is a big connection to the military in not just the fanhood of the sport, but the sport itself. The first ever guest that we had on this show, Jake, Brian Stan, Marine Corps veteran, Silver Star recipient, former uh, WEC and UFC contender in the middleweight and light heavyweight divisions. Uh, Got to talk to him, Tim Kennedy, Shane Crutchton. We've talked to so many people involved in MMA, and we have another one coming up next week. We're a little MMA heavy over the last week or so. Lex McMahon, who's the chief operating officer of Titan Fighting Championships, turns out he is a Marine Corps veteran. Also, his dad is a Marine Corps veteran. That last name, McMahon, may sound familiar. You may be thinking, well, who's his dad? Is it Jim McMahon? No, Lex McMahon is, uh, I think, a little bit too old to be Jim McMahon's son. Is it Vince McMahon of the WWE? Nope. Keep going. Can you think of any other famous McMahons, Jake? Ed McMahon? Yeah, Ed McMahon is his dad. And Ed McMahon was a colonel in the United States Marine Corps when he finished up his time uh, in World War II and Korea. He served in the Marine Corps. Lex McMahon is Ed McMahon's son, the chief operating officer of Titan Fighting Championships, and a Marine Corps combat veteran. We're going to be talking to him uh, to kick off next week's shows. So, yeah, it's Friday. you got the weekend coming up. Don't worry. There's going to be another show on Monday. And in that show... We're going to talk to amazing guests as well. But today we've also got Flags of Valor, Brian Stortz and Jen from 9-11 Promise Run and the VFW, as I said, along with Randy Couture, who's coming up in the very next segment. But right now, let's take a look at some of the headlines taking place around the military and veteran world. And starting off with some things that you can find on ConnectingVets.com, Phil Bird Dog Briggs has a story about VAID cards. These, These things again. It's kind of about VA ID cards, Jake. As we've talked about, the VA has once again showed that uh, they're pretty bad at getting uh, anything bureaucratic done, getting any program on a wide scale launched. These VA ID cards, it's coming up on a year since they allowed people to put in for the VA ID cards, as we talked about yesterday. They have had somewhere around 150 uh, requests for those cards, and they've sent out less than 50,000 of them. That's not very good. You're talking about one-third of the people receiving them. As we found out yesterday from AMVETS Executive Director Joe Chanelli, who was one of the very first people to put in the request, he still doesn't have his card. (laughs) But if you live in Ohio, you can get a veteran ID card. It's a state-issued veteran ID card, not a VA one, but this is what's happening in Montgomery County, Ohio. They are able to get these veteran ID cards that they're making done in just a few minutes. Take notes, Department of Veterans Affairs. This is how it's done. Local veterans are now able to get a Montgomery County veteran ID card 
simply by bringing their DD-214 and two other forms of identification into the county recorder's office between 8 a.m. and 4 p.m. That's what WHIO-TV is reporting. Uh, And they told the TV station, this is going to be a stabilizing point for our veterans. This is going to be a program that will break down barriers. Now, these ID cards are similar to the VA cards, Jake, in that they won't provide access to VA or DOD benefits. They'll be good for discounts, though, at 200 businesses in Montgomery County, Ohio. And really, that's what the VA ID card is all about. It's about getting those discounts on Veterans Day or in places where they always give a discount to veteran. You'll be able to prove that you are. Um, They're quick to point out in this interview that they gave to WHIO-TV that it's not a handout, but giving veterans something that they've already earned. It's also nice for people to actually be able to receive them, handout or not, because as we said, one third of those who put in for a VAID card have received them in, I think it's like 10 months or something since they uh, put started taking the, uh, the, the entries for them. Here's the issue with that as well. They are just a meaningless card, really, other than those veteran discounts and things like that and being able to show, hey, I'm a veteran. And in many states, they're kind of redundant because, take, for example, Maryland, where I currently live, my license doesn't have veteran on it, but it could. If I bring my DD-214 down to the DMV, or the MVA, as they call it in Maryland, they will actually add that to my license. You're from Texas. Uh, I don't know if you still have a Texas license or what the deal is, but how about your home state? They're they're usually pretty good on veteran stuff. Do they? Texas do? does, and uh, I currently live in Virginia, so my Virginia driver's license does as well. There you go. So, I mean, this thing is, it's kind of just an extra thing to put in your wallet. I actually haven't put in uh, a request for the ID card for that very reason. I just don't see the need for it. Um, I actually had a VA ID card issued for uh, my VA benefits after I got out of the military. When I brought that to the Motor Vehicle Administration, they said, oh, you're a veteran. Do you have any proof of that? I said, well, I got this Department of uh, Veterans Affairs ID card that they gave me. Nope, that didn't count. Had to bring my DD-214. So even if an official one that does give you benefits doesn't count as an official form of ID, that gives you an idea of what the regular old VA ID card means. It's just not much. Yeah, not much, except for, you know, free pancake day. Free pancake day, maybe a cookie, a coffee, something like that. I mean, and those things are nice. Are they necessities? Not particularly. And if you're from a state like Texas, Virginia, Maryland, or many others that put some sort of veteran identifier on your license, if you... uh show them that you're a veteran. It's something that you already have. But it's just interesting that Montgomery County, Ohio, much smaller, so it's probably a little easier for them. I will grant you that. But the fact that they're just able to do it immediately, like you walk in with a DD-214, they give you the uh, ID card, and you go on your merry way and get your free pancakes and, and have a good day. Whereas at the VA, what we understand is that they've been manually checking each of those entries. <laughs> now we're talking 140,000 or something like that entries still over 10 months, unless it's just one dude sitting there going like, mm, look down this one. I'm picturing one, some really old guy with really thick glasses and a bow tie searching them one at a time. That's Jim. Jim does the VA ID <laughs> cards. He's uh, he's doing a great job over there. How many of those have been sent out? Oh, don't worry about that. Just let Jim do what Jim does. 48,000, I believe, was the number or something. 38 or 48,000 that have actually gone out. You wonder, 10 months or so is 300 days. I can do that mouth, give or take, 300 days. In 300 days, they've done, let's say it's 38,000. That's not a lot per day. So maybe it is just one person doing that. 
which is interesting. Maybe they could take the uh, union shop steward at the VA who's being paid by the VA to do nothing but shop steward activities from what we've heard from several people. Maybe they could add that person onto the VA ID card team. No, that that breaks his union-mandated work hours. Yeah, probably. Hmm. Here's something that uh, has to do with a good thing, and this is an interesting thing. Jeff Bezos, you know who he is? That's the Amazon guy, right? Yeah, he's the mogul behind Amazon, the founder of Amazon, richest man in the world. Just donated millions to elect veterans to Congress. $10 million from he and his wife, Mackenzie, to a veteran-focused super PAC aimed at getting candidates with military service elected to Congress. It's called With Honor, and they call themselves a cross-partisan political action committee. This is the largest political contribution ever from the Bezoses. And they've made it their mission with With Honor to elect the next generation of military veterans who will commit to working across party lines. And it's something that we've talked about on the show. We've talked with veterans that are currently serving and with veterans that are currently running for office in these midterm elections. Uh, Dan Crenshaw, of course, we've talked to a few times. He's a medically retired Navy SEAL working down, uh, lives down in Houston, your hometown. He's running in uh, Texas District down there for an open seat in Congress. Ken Harbaugh out in Ohio, another Navy vet, a pilot. He's running for a seat in Ohio. Uh, they, Max Rose from New York that I just interviewed a couple right, weeks ago. Who just did his uh, National Guard duty in the middle of a campaign. So again, showing where his priorities lie. You know, He understands that, hey, running for office is important, but I've made a commitment to the military. And with, let's take Crenshaw and Harbaugh, both Navy officers, both uh, veterans, both working on different party lines. Dan Crenshaw is a Republican. Ken Harbaugh is a Democrat. But based on what I've seen of them, what I've heard from them, from talking to them both face-to-face, I believe that they'll be able to work together on issues. And it's going to be easier for them to work together because of that common bond that they share than some of these other politicians who have a bond to maybe their corporate donors or uh, you know just to the the people in their district of course that's what it goes back to but I, I like to think that the veterans have an ability to look at things from uh, a different perspective a slightly different perspective and that's the thing that I talked with Max Rose about is about how I mean when you listen to his interview he threw shade at both parties he's saying that both parties are the issue he's running as a Democrat but he threw just as much shade at the Democrats as Republicans so for him and he brought up this point for a lot of veterans it's that they're sick and tired of the same old political kabuki theater in Washington. They're tired of nothing happening, of people screaming from party lines, but nothing gets done. And so veterans have this sense of, we need to get the mission accomplished, whatever that mission may be. And if that requires compromise and working between parties, they're willing to do that. You also wonder with politicians, how many of them, when they face a setback, We'll just sit and grovel and moan and, you know, should have gotten this through. Look at someone like Crenshaw. He's a guy who lost an eye and nearly his life and nearly both eyes to an IED. Not only did he uh, recuperate and survive when many people thought there was no chance that that was even going to happen, he went on to deploy again after that. I mean, this is a guy who's not going to stop because of some setback and things like that. You know, it's it's. Just the ones that we've talked to, like him and Ken Harbaugh was a member of Team Rubicon. He was a, a board member on Team Rubicon. May have even been one of the founders, if I'm remembering correctly. So he's someone that, again, knows how to get things done. And if you think Team Rubicon are people that are all of uh, the same mindset, politically or otherwise, 
you're out of your mind. <laughs> the one thing they have in common is they're all veterans and they find a way to work together. And I think that's a good thing. And the fact is that right now we actually have a larger representation of veterans in Congress than we do in the general population. There are something like 30% of the members of Congress are veterans. And of course, the actual population, I think we're like 3% or 6% or something like that. Um, it, it, that's a good thing, although it's much lower than it was in, say, the post, uh, post-World post War II era, where it seems just about everybody was uh, was a veteran. And good morning to Janine Lutz and Leo Garcia, who are watching us on Facebook Live and gave us a little hello shout out over there. We share this video of our first segment in studio every morning on 715 on the Connecting Vets Facebook page. At Connecting Vets, that's what we are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, all your social media outlets. That's where we are, and you should be following us. And you get to see, I mean, what better site could you wake up to than Jake and I sitting in studio, glorious beards, various uh, adorable T-shirts. Jake has his All Your Bless Are Belong to Us, which is a, uh, a play on the All Your Base Are Belong to Us uh, video it's, game meme. Yeah, it's my lord and savior in memes. What more could I possibly need? I don't know. Maybe a better hat. Still got that Houston Astros one on there. There is no better hat. Yeah, they're looking pretty good again this year. Speaking of sports, you a hockey fan at all, Jake? I know you're from Texas, and yeah, you got the Dallas Stars down there, but there's no Houston team. What do you think of hockey in the NHL? Uh, It's entertaining. I like it. It's kind of soccer with violence, which Mm. I like. And uh, actually, Houston used to have an IHL team called the Houston Arrows. Oh, yeah, I remember that name. Yeah, but they went away. Oh, that does happen. I'm from mainly great- because you had to like drive two hundred and fifty thousand miles in Texas to find a hockey ring. So yeah, that's true. Other than the Dallas Stars, who of course moved down from Minnesota. Minnesota has a new team. I'm from the great state of Connecticut. We had the Hartford Whalers, but the Hartford Whalers moved to Carolina, and then a couple years later won the Stanley Cup, which they never did in Hartford. Which you know, it, it, you, you talk about that, but in Houston, we used to have the Houston Oilers, and they sucked the entire time they were there. The first year they moved to Tennessee and become the Titans, they go to the Super Bowl. Yeah, and they lost to Kurt Warner and the Rams. Well, still, they went yeah. to the Super Bowl. They never went when they were with us. And they weren't always awful. They had some good years with Warren Moon. They had that that game. Uh, it's a famous game where they were ahead of the Buffalo Bills by like 40 points and the Bills came back with their backup quarterback I think Frank Reich and won the game uh, right at the end there but the reason that I asked you about the NHL a player from the New Jersey Devils Kyle Palmieri he is supporting military families he kind of always has with the Kyle Palmieri Foundation that was founded by him and his wife Ashley he's going to be doing even more it's going to give back to those who have sacrificed to preserve American freedom He's not new to military support projects, as you can find out by checking out the story by Libby Howe on uh, ConnectingVets.com. He has hosted service members and their family through the Squad 21 program, which is designed around his jersey number, 21. Through that, active duty service members and veterans are invited to attend one of the 21 Squad 21 games. There's a lot of 21s in there. guess the guy really likes the number 21. Also seems to really like veterans. So that program, Squad 21, is going to continue. But the Palmieri Foundation is adding three new military organizations to the list of ways that he's supporting service members, including previous guest of the show, the Service Women's Action Network, SWAN, which focuses on the issues faced by women in the military and women in the veterans community, as well as the National Military Family Association and Pets 
for vets. So what he's going to do to these three relatively small organizations in the grand scheme of veteran service organizations, uh, they are going to get support from them. Uh, they're going to be receiving some money from uh, fundraisers that they're able to do uh, and also help out with Pets for Vets, which is a great one. That's providing emotional support through shelter dogs, rescued dogs that are out there. And he says that uh, being around pets and the emotional support they give is something that's awesome. And he can't really put into words what a companion can do. There is, of course, a discussion these days about veterans and professional sports and what's going on there. A lot of people very angry about it. I was uh, included in some tweets yesterday that people responded to uh, based on the national anthem protest from Colin oh. Kaepernick. Yeah, you know, it was uh, a guest of the show, Joe Chanelli and Amvets, tweeted out uh, some clips from his interview on the show. And there are some people who are very, uh, how shall I put it? Vocal. Very vocal and very... Um, focused in one direction or the other on this on this issue again on social media it oftentimes seems that there's no in between there is i think you and i are both on kind of the in between level where it's like okay i would prefer that everyone stand for our national anthem i think it's a way of uh showing respect yes to those who have defended the flag and yes to the great things that our country has done and given to all of us i understand why the people who are protesting are doing so and it's fully their right to do so. And I support that right. Again, would prefer that they stand, support their right to not stand. NFL kicked off their season last night, the Thursday night game. I didn't watch a minute of it. I was playing FIFA soccer on the Xbox last night instead. And uh, from what I understand, though, nobody knelt during the national anthem, which was performed by boys to men who are from Philadelphia. And the game was in Philadelphia. How good does it make you feel to see a veteran star player? on an NHL team doing something this positive for veterans. And how much of a, a signal do you think that should be to people that, hey, not all these professional athletes are coddled, whiny, uh, entitled folks? Well, it should be because a lot of people think things about professional athletes, like you said, that you know they're dumb, muscly jocks that don't know anything and don't care about anything other than the next few million dollars they're going to make for throwing a ball down a field. But uh, I'm, I'm projecting a little bit, but uh, I honestly believe that a lot of these people, uh, these athletes, use their status for good things. And it's not just for veteran stuff. It's for a, a, a myriad of causes. But the fact that they are willing to do these things for veterans means that, you know, they're worth a second look. I certainly agree with that. Taking one last look uh, at the news, there's a story that uh, Air Force Times has about a colonel who was running Osan Air Base, which is over in Korea, a place that you were yep, stationed. Yep, I was there several times. Where was uh, Where's Osan located? In Osan. Well, I know. Like, <laughs> for those of us who don't know the general topography of South Korea beyond, like, there's Seoul, which is pretty far north in South Korea. It's pretty close to the uh, border. It's, uh, if I remember right, I think it's like 100 miles south of Seoul. Well, the former commander of the 51st Mission Support Group, by the name of Colonel Kerry Prohl, I believe, P-R-O-U-L-X. I'm not sure how that's pronounced. My apologies. Was relieved of command earlier this year after investigators found she strongly and repeatedly leaned on base officials for what reason, Jake? What do you think this colonel was trying to get done that got her fired from her job commanding 51st Mission Support Group? Uh, Probably, I, I honestly have no idea. If you had to take a get, what's something that you think a colonel would want to get done that could get them fired? Just just 
Take having a driver up. or making more time for lo- go to the golf course or I don't know. But well, when it comes to having a driver, a cook, you may be thinking of the former command master former chief, Nick Pond, yeah, Nick Pond, master chief, petty officer of the Navy. No, Colonel Pro uh, apparently was pushing and really doing everything she could to get base officials to build a dog park at her quarters. She wanted a personal dog park for her to be able to take her dog, uh, bring her dog into work and take the dog out to a dog park there. Uh, I think based on all the AFN commercials that I saw while I was stationed overseas for seven years or so, uh, as well as the ones that I produced while working for AFN and Naval Media Center and defense, uh, the defense information, uh, defense media activity. I believe that that might fall under the category of fraud, waste and abuse. What do you think? Uh, maybe just a little bit, maybe just a little bit. So there's a report that came out on February 5th detailing a sustained and improper effort by the colonel to get a dog park built directly adjacent to her senior officer quarters, which began immediately after she took command in July 2016. Okay, so it was outside of her quarters, not outside of her headquarters. So it wasn't bring the dog into work and then be able to say it was outside of her house. Listen, you're a colonel. You already get a lot of really nice things. Don't push for a dog park. Lesson learned, I guess, because she was fired earlier this year from her spot at 51st Mission Support Group. You're listening to The Morning Briefing on Entercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Be sure to check out the website and follow us on social media. We are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and the YouTubes. Coming up next, Randy Couture, mixed martial arts legend, Army veteran, and member of the team at Merging Vets and Players going to talk to him and then later on in the show we've got the vfw flags of valor 9-11 promise run chock full of good stuff this friday hope you check it out it's all coming up starting with randy couture right after this we're cbs radio's connectingvets.com connecting vets every day online and all over social media facebook youtube instagram and twitter at connecting vets Welcome back to the morning briefing from Entercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day is our slogan, and it's what we do. And I'll tell you why we do it. It's because each and every member of our team knows what it's like to have worn the uniform, and just as importantly, we know what it's like to have taken it off that last time. 13 years in the Navy for me, for example. 13 years for super producer Jake Hughes in the Army. 26 years together between us, we'd be an E-12. Okay, the math doesn't really work out, but I'll tell you the math works out for our site, and you need to check it out every day and follow us on social media. We are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Our next guest, well, he barely needs an introduction, but I'm going to give him one anyway. He is a legend in the sport of mixed martial arts, holding multiple championships in multiple promotions, multiple-time heavyweight, light heavyweight champion, And some of you may know, but some of you may not. He's also an Army veteran. Please welcome to the show, Randy the Natural Couture. Randy, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. How are you guys? Ah, We're doing fantastic. And as I mentioned, you know, a lot of people know you as an MMA fighter. Fewer know you as an Army veteran. So take me back to when Randy Couture decided to join the Army. Uh, When did you join and what did you do while you were serving? Uh, I joined in uh, 1982. I was in the U.S. Army for six years from 82 to 88. I was originally trained as a, as an air traffic controller. Now that was right after Reagan fired a bunch of those civilian air traffic controllers. Uh, a bunch of the military guys got out and took those civilian positions and left a, 
a void or a vacancy in, in the services. So I ended up qualifying through my ASVAB for ATC and, and I went to advanced training at Fort Rucker, Alabama and spent six years, uh, six years as an air traffic controller with the U.S. Army. While you were in the Army, you also competed in wrestling, as I understand it properly, right? What was that like, getting involved with Army wrestling while you were serving? Well, that was the peak of the Cold War. And so there were about 5 million soldiers stationed in Central Europe, and they had extensive sports programs to keep morale up and keep the guys occupied when they weren't in the field. And uh, I ended up wrestling and, and winning a U.S. Army Europe championship which got me a chance to try out for the all-army wrestling team and uh, compete in inner service and some of the national tournaments. Ultimately, I ended up making the team and, and winning a couple of inner, inner service championships and and uh, ended up being an alternate on the 88 Olympic team as a soldier in Greco-Roman wrestling. So it was a pretty uh, pretty interesting, pretty pretty uh, cool time in my life. I certainly learned a lot as a soldier and, and got some exposure that, ultimately led me to Oklahoma State on a wrestling scholarship. One quick thing about your Army wrestling career. I read, and I know I've seen it on Wikipedia and a couple other places, you actually wanted to go out for freestyle wrestling, but there was some sort of error that ended up having you submitted for Greco-Roman, <laughs> so you had to learn the sport at that point. Is that true? That's actually true. I'd, I'd never wrestled freestyle or Greco till I joined the service, but obviously freestyle is a lot more technically uh, similar to collegiate wrestling or folk style. I'd never wrestled either. And then uh, I, I entered a, a tournament in Baumholder, West Germany, and uh, I entered the freestyle competition, weighed in, and, and they had somehow put my name on both the freestyle bracket and the Greco bracket. So even though I just walked off a freestyle mat in, in a match, they started calling my name on a Greco mat, and I had to make a decision right there whether I was going to wrestle in the Greco tournament or not, and uh, decided to give it a whirl, and uh, lo and behold, it, it kind of became my, my favorite style. When you leave the Army, as you mentioned, a wrestling scholarship to Oklahoma State, legendary wrestling school. I mean, people like yourself, Daniel Cormier, many others that have gone through there. What was that period in your life like, leaving the Army after six years that you spent serving there and going into college as a guy, I'm guessing, in his mid-20s at that point? Uh, was that a bit of a, a scary time for you? Do you feel you were well-prepared for it? Absolutely. Uh, one of the biggest and scariest decisions I, I had made. Uh, you know, I had a, a wife and two kids at that time in, in the service and was, was you know, do my best to support my family through being a soldier. And, and uh, so to... to walk away from that, uh, even at the risk of, you know, or maybe not a risk. I mean, I had a GI bill and, and I got a, a scholarship, but still support, you know, working a full-time job basically as a, as an athlete and going to school plus raising, you know, two kids you know, with a wife was, was pretty precarious decision. And, and, uh, finally with the help of my coach, employed winner, the army wrestling coach, he kind of steered me in the right direction. I took the scholarship, took the risk, got out of the service, obviously was as busy as I've ever been focused on all of that at that time, but it was definitely one of those things that had my full attention for a while. 
Of course, we're speaking with Randy Couture, multiple-time champion in mixed martial arts, of course, a member of the Olympic team, a wrestler in the Army, the Oklahoma State University wrestling team. And mixed martial arts is where you've really made your name. It's what people know you best for. And there's several other veterans, many of whom we've had on this show, uh, Brian Stan, Tim Kennedy, Shane Crutchton, uh, Colton Smith. We can go down the list of the veterans who found success there. In addition to your success as a professional mixed martial artist, have you found that the athletics, the wrestling, and, and martial arts have really helped you gain kind of a sense of self and purpose after you left the military? Do you think you'd be in the same place you are today without them? Well, I, I think definitely my time in uniform was a pretty formative time for me. Uh, I think we learned to pay attention to detail and, and just look at the world in a very particular way once you've made that commitment and wore that uniform. So uh, I think that's in a lot of ways, what's fashioned me to get me through four years of college and ultimately into mixed martial arts. Some of that was, you know, that wrestler's mentality, which translated well to being in the service. But a lot of it was what I learned and did in the service, that, you know, kind of embracing the grind, you know, and doing what you got to do. And uh, definitely, I think, helped me a ton. I rolled into Oklahoma State as a 25-year-old freshman. You know, managed to be an academic All-American as well as a wrestling All-American there. And, and a lot of that, I think, was from that motivation I had from wearing that uniform. Are the martial arts and, and college wrestling and freestyle wrestling, I think martial arts are probably easier for uh, for most adults to get into, are they things that you recommend to other people, including veterans who may be, you know, like take someone like me in their mid to late 30s who's uh, looking for something to help get them in shape and kind of get them to where they need to be? Do you highly recommend that stuff? Absolutely. I think uh, any kind of grappling, uh, jiu-jitsu, catch wrestling, any of that stuff is great. It's, it's you know, certainly in the modern combatives programs that, that all the services are using now, it's, it's akin to the same thing. I think that's one of the things that uh, soldiers and fighters share is that warrior spirit. So uh, as far as a form of self-defense and form of way uh, to stay in shape, I think it's great. Certainly great for, for the females as well. Uh, a great form of, of self-defense and, and pr- way to protect yourself. God forbid you should ever need to. Of course, Randy, you've now retired from mixed martial arts. You've moved into commentating and doing a pretty darn good job at that. But you're also a member of the MVP team alongside uh, former guests of the show like Nate Boyer and Denver Morris. Of course, Jay Glazer, sports broadcaster, is part of that. How did you come to be part of MVP and what made you want to join up with the team over there? Well, Jay Glazier and, and Nate Boyer have been friends for a long time, and obviously uh, Nate and I both served in the Army, uh, so we, we immediately uh, hit it off. Uh, and then watching him transition from, from his military service to trying to make a professional football team after college uh, and being part of that journey for him is what ultimately got me involved in MVP. They asked me to be on the board, and after about a year, year and a half of, of being involved in the MVP program at Unbreakable uh, and and always talking about expanding the program to somewhere else, I'm like, guys, I own a gym in Vegas. Let's do this. So I kind of took the bull by the horns and started the Vegas chapter with Noel Huerta and, and uh, AJ and the guys there. And, and uh, so right away, MVP started growing, got some traction, got traction in Vegas as well. And, you know, obviously now we've just spread to Chicago. We've got a new new gym in Chicago with the POW gym there that, that's running the program. We're looking at New York, uh, Seattle, San Diego, 
our, our goal is to continue to expand merging vets and players, not only to help uh, our, our veterans that wore the uniform, but some of these athletes that, that we strip away, you know, that uniform and that adrenaline rush of walking out that tunnel, and they struggle with a lot of the same things. You know, Randy, you are someone who's been blessed with a lot of talents. You're pretty good on TV calling the fights just as well as doing it. There are a lot of athletes, as you mentioned, that struggle with their their post-sport career. Is that the biggest similarity between them and veterans and why MVP wants to bring together these athletes and veterans? Well, I think you know, we're used to being part of a team, uh, and so are they. They're, they're used to putting on a uniform just like we did. Uh, there's a certain mentality and infrastructure that's involved in that endeavor. And I think that's something that we as both soldiers and athletes share. And when you strip all that away and just toss us back into civilian world, it doesn't really work that way. We've, we've changed. We're different. I think there's something special about somebody who's played in the NFL or who wore that uniform and, you know, had a brush with death, was responsible for the guy sitting next to him, not just responsible for whether he wins or loses the game, but potentially his life. And, and I think that makes these guys special. And uh, a lot of times when we're done, we strip all that away and we try to assimilate back in the civilian world, we start to feel broken. We start to feel weird and different. So getting around folks that speak the same language, that, that have experienced the same things, and changing that narrative, making these guys realize they're not broken. They are special. There's very few people that can do the things that they've done in this world, and uh, I think that makes them special. We're speaking with Randy Couture, mixed martial arts legend and Army veteran, having served for six years, wrestled in the Army, wrestled in college, went on to MMA, now a broadcaster, as well as doing amazing things through MVP, merging vets and players alongside Nate Boyer, Jay Glazer, and the rest of the team over there. Of course, Randy, these organizations, they don't fund themselves. You've got to find a way to be able to run these programs, and a really cool thing that MVP is do, doing as a bit of a fundraiser is giving giving people the opportunity to enter a raffle, essentially, to win a trip to go watch the Bellator fights of, I believe it's Rory McDonald and Jigar Musasi out in California, and they're going to get to do that with you. How excited are you to get to take in, the, take in the fights and get to do it with someone who's supporting MVP? Well, I think it's awesome. It's, it's been fantastic that uh, Bellator and, and some of the other organizations out there have embraced like the NFL has, has embraced merging bets and players and tried to help us shine a light on the situation, both with our players and our soldiers and, and trying to get these guys all together, give them a new place to work out, start to feel a little better about themselves, but mostly the camaraderie and peer on peer counseling that MVPs provide. So this is an opportunity uh, provided by Bellator. Give us a chance to go watch some fights, obviously, and, and, uh, have a special night with somebody who wants to get involved, not only seeing some MMA, but, but helping out merging vets and players. If someone goes to an MMA fight with Randy Couture, if they're sitting next to you watching the fights, what can they expect from that? Are you going to be able to give them a little bit of insight into what's going on between two high-level fighters like Musasi and McDonald? Absolutely. Uh, that's, that's part of the fun of it. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I like commentating, being a, you know, an analyst. Uh, we as fighters see... Uh, details and things that, that a lot of people don't catch. And so can it kind of shed some light on that, what that experience is like walking out of that tunnel and walking up into a cage in front of 20,000 plus people is a unique experience. And uh, we'll be up close and personal, right, right up in the corral, I suspect. And, 
as close to the cage as you can get. So <laughs> it's going to be a bird's eye view, and it's going to be a lot of fun. And all you need to do to enter for a chance to win that prize of going to see these fights and supporting the MVP program, which is really what it's all about, $10 gets you an entry into that uh, that raffle there. And really uh, just a great cause that you would be supporting there and helping out a wonderful organization that's doing wonderful things. Randy, uh, thank you so much for your time. Before we finish, is there any message you'd like to give to your fellow veterans out there, whether it's you know specifically to the Army vets or to everybody in general, something you'd like the veterans to know from randy the natural couture well i think two things i think first of all get back to the gym uh, almost to a man the vets that i meet and, and get to rub elbows with and talk talk to are like hey you should have seen me when i was in uniform i was in great shape so you know get get back to being active and, and get back to the gym and, and then let's figure out what what that new purpose is uh, we we signed up to serve and and uh, sometimes finding ways to serve others is is something that makes us feel worthy and and uh, keeps us motivated so uh, i would definitely find a find a place to train and find a place to help find a new uh, new purpose in life wise words there from the natural randy couture and we want to thank him for his time once again really a fantastic guy doing fantastic things listen he's got a lot going on jake i mean this is a man who is Retired from mixed martial arts, but didn't stop working. He is an actor. He's been featured in the Expendables movies, among others. He is a commentator for mixed martial arts, for the Professional Fighters League, uh, and, of course, doing amazing work with MVP. As he said, his military experience, he thinks, helped him with uh, getting to the point that he got to as a legend in the sport of mixed martial arts and kind of keeping everything going as it went on. How nice is it to hear about, again, a professional athlete who finishes up his time. He's got his own gym, Extreme Couture, out there in Las Vegas. He trains fighters. He's got all these other things to do. But he's still finding time for this veterans organization, Emerging Vets and Players. It's very heartening because he, again, when you see these uh, professional athletes that have these causes and to know that, I don't even know what I'm trying to say, man. <laughs> I just, it's a good thing it is and this isn't just him lending his name and his face and his half million twitter followers and half million or one million facebook fans and all that stuff this is a guy who w was aware of merging vets and players and got involved with the organization and they were out in uh, i believe they were in like the la area or san diego one of the two and wanted to expand they had talked about expanding and he said to him hey I've got a gym in Vegas. Let's do it. They did. He started his own chapter of merging vets and players, essentially, at his facility in Las Vegas, which, of course, is a place where a lot of professional athletes uh, come to spend their free time. They go out there to hit the casinos. They go out there for the big boxing and MMA fights. Of course, you've got an NHL team in Vegas now. You've got the Oakland Raiders soon to move down to Vegas. Uh, it's a rapidly expanding city. Kind of odd that they just built a city in the middle of the desert for who knows what reason. Oh, feels like they finally turned off the heat in the studio here. That's a good <laughs> thing. Um, the the aspect of it that impressed me the most is that part, that he started, essentially allowed them to expand their organization out to Vegas, and now they've got uh, more plans to expand, and this contest that they're doing is going to assist in that drive to get to other locations like New York, like Texas, like 
uh, Washington. He talked about all the places that they want to expand to in that interview. And this fundraiser, which again, you can go to ConnectingVets.com. We've got a story. It's right there on the front page. If you don't see it, search UFC or, or MMA or Randy Couture or anything like that. You'll be able to find it there. Um, this is something that's going to help them do that. And it's a really cool thing. Donating $10 to that organization, I think it's something most of us could probably uh, handle without yeah. taking too much of a financial hit. And what you could win, plane tickets, hotel room, going to the fights with Randy, getting a private tour of the uh, the SAP Center out there in San Jose before the fights, meeting Jay Glazer, who's going to be uh, uh, doing the uh, the TV commentating for Bellator at this event. It's really great stuff. I mean, you're a bit of an MMA fan. You're not as obsessed as I am, but that's the kind of thing you'd, you'd like to take advantage of, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. I would love to be able I'd love to meet Randy Couture just to ask him about his... You know, how involved he's been with the veteran community, not just the MVP, but he was also, you mentioned movies. He was in Range 15 with yep. the Ranger Up people and Matt Best 11X. And uh, just, I'd love to just to be able to pick his brain over things like that, you know? Yeah, and talk to him about his interesting military career. He was a sergeant when he got out, served for six years, 82 to 88. The fact that the, I knew that, I knew he was in the Army, but I didn't know a lot of the details of his military career. I'm sure he's talked about it someplace before, but I've never seen it in any interviews, and it's not really on his Wikipedia page. Learning that he was an air traffic controller in the Army, hearing that and going, air traffic controller in the Army? What planes is the Army using? Why? <laughs> then you think back, that was when President Reagan fired all of the uh, the union workers from the air traffic controllers. And part of the plan was to replace them with military members. So really a fascinating thing. And then, of course, him getting into wrestling and uh, and competing in the, the mistake that was made where he was entered in uh, to Greco-Roman uh, by mistake. He wanted to do freestyle wrestling and never done Greco-Roman wrestling before. Got entered into the Army Championships in that. Gave it a shot. Turned out to be what he ends up making the 1988 Olympic team as an alternate <laughs> for. I mean, just a fascinating guy with a fascinating life. And a ton of mixed martial arts experience who, as he said, looking forward to sharing that with the lucky winner of that contest. I, I wish I could enter the contest, but, uh, you know, just the propriety of that after doing the interview. Right. I don't know about that. You probably could. But the uh, other thing about it is this isn't some little cheesy event with like no big headline. This is a massive Bellator event. One of their biggest. You've got. Rory McDonald and Jagar Musasi, two guys who at uh, the in the prime of their careers, really, both left the UFC, the organization that more people know about when it comes to MMA. They left and signed with Bellator. Now they'll be fighting for the middleweight title between the two of them. That's the that's the the main event. The co-main event, the co-headliner, Rampage Jackson and Vanderlei Silva, two longtime fan favorites. I believe this is the fourth time that they'll be going back and forth. Two guys who are uh, known for slugging it out, basically. The Axe Murderer versus Rampage. That just sounds like a uh, a great fight, even though, yeah, they're, they may be... They may be a little bit past their primes in their career, but it's still a great fight. You've also got, uh, I believe, Diego Lima is fighting on that card. Aaron Pico, the up-and-coming superstar in MMA, who's won his last two fights by liver punch. Punched guys in the liver so hard that their bodies shut down. One of them we personally know. 
He's as tough as they come. Shane Crutchton, Marine Corps veteran, Purple Heart recipient, choked out Jake on video. You can check that out. At yeah, Connecting Vets, uh, well, that was a lot of fun. The Connecting Vets Facebook page. He did it to me too, but it wasn't on video. We get we got you on video. So I had to make sure that you were the one on video, just so I made sure that I got the right uh, video. Yeah, frame on yeah. It. You know, I'm yeah, a very good yeah. videographer, so that's that's why we did that one. Um, it's a fantastic card. You'll be sitting next to Randy Couture if you're the lucky winner, and you're getting free airfare and a hotel out there, tour of the the venue, get to meet Jay Glazer, who, of course, is one of the founders of MVP, along with Nate Boyer. I, I, it's a win-win for everybody involved. And even if you don't win, you're giving a minimum of $10, and you can give as much as you want to a wonderful organization. They do have... Uh, higher levels of donations. $50, I think, gets you 500 entries and a t-shirt. And then there's a bigger one, and I think it's $500, which gets you some autographed gloves from Randy. So really uh, a wonderful, wonderful thing that they're doing with MVP and Bellator and and other MMA organizations, like he said, have really gotten on board with MVP and really helped out, as have some of the fighters. Matt Mitrione, who's a Bellator fighter, I know he's taking part in some of the MVP events and uh, really just awesome stuff that they've got going on. And I think it's going to grow and I think it's going to get bigger. And we've seen uh, some MVP uh, videos shown. I, actually, I think you were over at the house watching the UFC fights and they showed that video vignette of what MVP is doing. Yeah, yeah that was uh, that was pretty awesome. And it's a great program that's just going to keep on growing. Well, you are listening to The Morning Briefing, and as if we haven't already had enough fun today, we've still got two more fantastic interviews to come. We've got Flags of Valor and the 9-11 Promise Run, as well as the VFW is going to be talking to us about some uh, some important things going on within the veteran community. Of course, we've also been taking a look around the news taking place in that veteran community. We talked about this one yesterday, and I heard from a couple people on it, Jake. VA doctors may be getting the green light in states where medical marijuana is legal to actually prescribe it to veterans. I have heard nothing but positive feedback after talking about that. I heard a couple people like, you know what? It's about time. There are a lot of people who seem to feel that way. Uh, Even people who don't seem to agree with me on much of anything agree with me on this one. It's one that uh, just the vast majority of veterans are for. And again, this has nothing to do with the recreational legalization that's a conversation for a different community. Within the veteran community, we're talking about medical marijuana, prescribing it, something that has, uh, according to every study I've seen, been proven to be an effective painkiller, certainly a lot less addictive and dangerous than opioids are. Uh, it seems to be, again, just a win-win situation for everybody involved. You can check out the story on that and find out the details about this legislation put forth by two senators recently to give VA doctors the ability to do that at ConnectingVets.com. And, of course, follow us on social media. We are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Some sad news, not really veteran news uh, specifically, but... Oh, I think I know where you're going. It's just Burt tragic. Reynolds, yeah. Oh. Turd, good, for all, Turd Ferguson finally <laughs> finally, finally passed away. Uh, Norm MacDonald, probably going to have to retire that character, but what are you going to do? Uh, Burt Reynolds, of course, leaving us. Quick quick one for you there, Jake. Burt Reynolds, favorite Burt Reynolds movie? Uh, the Longest Yard. Longest Yard is a good choice. A good choice. I don't know if that's mine. I think I might have to go with the movie that caused a career resurgence for him a little bit, Boogie Nights. That one was a good my, one, too. One of my all-time favorites. One of my favorite 
Burt Reynolds movies, one of my favorite John C. Riley movies, my favorite uh, by far, Mark Wahlberg movie. But yeah, uh, rest in peace, Burt Reynolds, uh, you know, a fascinating guy, did a lot of fascinating things and uh, gave us a lot of entertainment. We're trying to give you some entertainment and some good times here on the Morning Briefing Friday edition. We will be right back after this. Helping military veterans stay connected. We make it easy. We're CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. At Connecting Vets. Welcome back to the Morning Briefing on Entercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets Every Day is our slogan, and as you know, it's what we do. We have a team of veterans. Every single person on our team knows what it's like to have served, knows what it's like to have gotten out, the difficulties, hurdles, and obstacles you can face. That's why they spend their day trying to find out ways to help all of our brothers and sisters currently serving and heading towards that end of service, or those who are already out and those who have been out for a long time. There's something for everybody at ConnectingVets.com. And if you follow us on social media, where we are at ConnectingVets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, you will be kept abreast of all of the great work that our team is doing here at Connecting Vets. Our next guest is the Associate Director of the National Legislative Service for the Veterans of Forum Wars, He's also a Marine Corps veteran. He is Pat Murray, who joins us now on the Morning Briefing. Pat, good morning. How are you today? Morning, Eric. How are we doing? We're doing pretty well. Now, let's let the audience know just a little bit about your time in the Marine Corps. So give us the brief rundown, where you're from, when you joined, and what you did while you were serving under the Eagle Globe and Anchor. Sure. So I I grew up in um, North Kingstown, Rhode Island, small town right on the water. Um, When I was 19, uh, went off to uh, Paris Island to join the Marines. Served in 1st Battalion, 25th Marines for about five years. Um, deployed in 2006 to Fallujah. Uh, got banged up over there. Ended up having to do about a year's recovery uh, at Walter Reed. And then when I got out, um, after I transferred out, <clears throat> I stuck around the area um, working, you know, various different jobs, um, but was always drawn to helping veterans. So started working for a couple of small nonprofits, then eventually transferred over to VFW. Now I work on education and workforce opportunity stuff, uh, really just, you know, helping veterans, shaping policy and legislation, helping folks go to school and go to work. When it comes to working within the VSO community and working on behalf of veterans, of course, you work for the VFW now, you've previously worked for other organizations that focus on vet issues. If someone thinks that that's a kind of path that they'd like to go down, as someone who's done it yourself, what recommendation would you give to someone to get started on doing that, on doing that kind of work that you do now? Get engaged. Um, You know, uh, find out what's going on. Um, Maybe even something as simple as just volunteering. Uh, That's it's a great way to to get you know uh, heading towards the workforce. Anywhere volunteering is a great pathway uh, to any industry. Uh, but that's one thing, kind of get engaged, find out what the issues are, find out maybe where you can lend a hand, and then see if that is something you would like to do professionally. And that's the, you know, the first you know, foot in the door to find out who does that then you know, as a job, as a profession. Um, so that would be my first recommendation is get engaged and volunteer, you know, just as you know, dip your toe in the water kind of thing. 
And of course, one thing that people who do get involved in the VSO uh, uh, sphere, that community, will find out is that even for organizations like the VFW, who have a restricted membership, uh, at full disclosure, I am a member myself of the organization, the VFW is restricted to those who served uh, in theater, essentially. But the work that the VFW does, it's not just on behalf of those who qualify for membership, it's on behalf of all veterans, isn't it, Pat? Correct. Um, so, like you said, our membership, basically, in order to be in the VFW, you kind of got to get on a plane and go somewhere terrible. Um, and But that's not simply who we represent, it, who we work for. We work for all 22 million veterans. Um, every man and woman who ever wore the uniform, the active duty folks, their families, that's who we, you know, we look out for. Um, our services we offer are free for anyone, not just our members. Uh, but in terms of the membership, yes, that is a little restrictive, but who represent is universal. That's right. The VFW is working on behalf of all veterans. And if you don't qualify for membership at the VFW, there are many other veteran service organizations that you can join, that you can work for. So keep an open mind. And uh, uh, again, if you don't realize it, these organizations, whether you qualify for membership or not, if you're a veteran, they're working on behalf of you. For example, when it comes to things like the GI Bill. And Pat, as I understand it, there were some recent uh, changes that were implemented in August. This is the newest version of the post 9 GI Bill, and there's apparently some some issues going on and some questions that people have about particularly veterans receiving the living stipend, the housing allowance that they get through the GI Bill. What can you tell us about the issues that we're assuming are going to be faced as people are starting up school and how veterans can go about avoiding falling uh, falling prey to those uh, those problems? Yeah, so uh, the, the major change that came about August 1st um, is the zip code. Uh, of where you physically attend your classes, where you attend the majority of your classes, is the zip code in which your BH rate will be applied to. <clears throat> that was supposed to be implemented in VA system um, as of August 1st. It still isn't. Um, and people just this past week were starting to go to class the first day of the semester. Um, so payments are already being affected because the schools can't properly input the correct zip code to apply the correct payment. Um, the the one thing that we will we we pushed out to all our folks is early engagement with your school's veterans office. Go walk in, go you know sit down and find out what you need to do to possibly avoid being caught up in some kind of mispayment situation. Um, there is a little silver lining um, in a hearing last month. Uh, the head of VA services of VA education services said that any overpayment due to VA's, you know, miscalculation of the zip code, whatever it might be, they're not going to be coming and collecting for any students that were overpaid due to the zip code issue. So that is something, you know, to kind of, you know, manage anyone's fears, things like that. You're not going to be getting a debt collection notice if there was a mispayment due to the zip codes. So, you know, we recommend all the folks get in, Talk to your school, talk to the veteran office, talk to your school certifying official, and make sure that you're doing everything right so that you're not on the hook for anything in the future. And that's a big thing and something that kind of surprises me, considering how I, you served in the Marine Corps. You know, if defense finance and accounting uh, gave you a little bit too much money, they came to get that as soon as they realized it. I mean, oh, they were looking that, to recoup that money. Their, they're out to get their pound of flesh. Yeah. Um, every, every dime of it. Uh, but this is one instance where, you know, at the hearing on the record, they said they will not do this. Um, we're making sure we're going to hold them accountable, 
because I'm sure right now with the system being screwed up, I'm sure people are being overpaid or underpaid or not paid right now. Um, you know, we're, we're just starting to get the feedback in because people are just showing up to class this week. Um, but these are things that we're, we're going to hold them accountable for to make sure that no one who is overpaid due to this, you know, processing error um, will have to pay it back. That's, that's not a student's fault. We're speaking to Pat Murray, Associate Director of the National Legislative Service for the VFW, about the GI Bill and recent changes and some issues that are rising out of those changes that have to do with payments specifically of the living stipend that people receive, which is essentially E5 with dependents BAH, but the place where you live could cause a problem. The way to fix this, apparently, and make sure that it's not a, a continuing problem, as you said, is for people to go and talk to uh, the veteran contact at their school. How important do you think it is for veterans to make sure that they know who that is, that they're checking in, and that they're paying attention to what's going on? It's, it's vital. Um, it, it took me uh, till really the second semester to, to realize just how beneficial it was, um, besides the fact that that's the place that they can explain the benefits, you know, how to properly, you know, even just sending in your semesterly certification letter, things like that. It's also a great spot to network, to meet people, to meet other student veterans that are doing exactly what you're doing. Um, I went, uh, when I went back to school, like a lot of folks, I said, you know what, I can do this on my own. I don't need any help. And it wasn't necessarily that I needed help, but I soon realized, like, this is a lot easier with help. Um, so getting in, you know, meeting those people, a, a lot of the folks in the office are veterans themselves. They might be alumni of that school. There might be, you know, work-study students that are, you know, student veterans. So it's a great place to just get in and meet people. They'll tell you which classes to take. They'll tell you how to apply for things. They'll t- give you the hookup on just all the easier ways to navigate, you know, your 120 credits or whatever it might be to get out of school. It's it's hugely important, and it's something that I encourage everyone to do early. I'm a bad example of this. When I went back to school, and I can give you an example of why people should do this, when I went back to school, or went back to school, when I started school and uh, was earning my bachelor's at Hofstra University, there was a veterans programs coordinator there. I checked in uh, the first semester as I was supposed to, and then I don't think I talked to her for the rest of my time there. (laughs) And there was actually an issue that came up where if I had been in regular contact with her, I would have seen the issue coming, everything worked out, but it would have been a lot easier for me, I found out, if I'd stayed in touch with the veteran programs coordinator. It can be easy because a lot of us, you know, you get older. I had a child at the time and a family and all that stuff I was dealing with. It can be easy to forget about maintaining that contact, but it's not something that you should put off, is it? No, it's something that, you know, sometimes the easy road is not the wrong road. Um, And, you know, there are ways to make things a little bit easier, um, you know, get over some of the hurdles that you're facing that you, just, you might not know exist. Um, kind of like you said, there was an issue that if you'd have known about it, I, like I said, it took till the second semester, maybe even third semester before my advisor sat me down and we actually charted out a path. He was a former Marine. He helped me out. And suddenly I think it took a, a semester off of what I needed to end up doing um, just because of sitting down and working this out. It was so much easier. Um, so I, I recommend that. And if it isn't necessarily the veteran office, maybe it's your student veterans of America chapter, um, you know, your different veteran groups on campus, get engaged with them. Talk to them because someone might be able to at least help you out even just a little bit. And that helps a ton.
And I think no matter what school you're at, you may feel like you're the only veteran there. If you don't reach out, you're not going to find out that there are guaranteed to be other vets there. I can think of a guy who I knew in the Navy, Jesse Sherwin, who we've talked to on the show before. He was going to Evergreen State, which is kind of this uh, wacky school out in the Northwest where uh, you don't get grades the way you normally do. The classes don't work the way they normally do. It's a place that uh, I think many people assume there wouldn't be many, if any, veterans there. He found out there's actually quite a big veteran community at the school. How important do you think it is for students as someone, I know you went to Georgetown University, how important do you think it is for students to, to realize that there are other veterans at your school, whether you realize it or not? It's, it's big. Um, you know, one of the things that it, when I went back, it was, like I said, I, I, I could do this on my own. You just, you know, start to gain some new friends, you know, some new colleagues, peers that are going through exactly what you're doing. It's a, it's a great support network. Um, it, finding out who else is there. You know, you're going through the same exact thing that they are. And you came from similar situations, whether you served in the Navy, Air Force, Army, Marines, whatever it might be, you know, that you came from similar backgrounds and you're now going through a similar challenge. Um, So, you know, the camaraderie that we all came from in the military, I mean, just think back. When did you ever go through something, you know, in the Army, in the Navy, whatever it might be, that you did on your own? It was always teamwork. Uh, So, you know, if you approach school the same way, that it's a team effort, you know, even though your grades are individual, things like that. But you can help each other. You know, you can be there for support. You can be there just to grab a beer after class, whatever it might be. Um, those are big things that, you know, just getting out and saying you're going to put your head down and do it on your own, that's great. You don't have to. You don't. And there are a lot of things that you do have to do at school, and you don't need to be part of the veteran community there if you don't want to, but it can be beneficial, just like joining a VSO can. You know, one of the things I learned when I joined my VFW post, 1469 Huntington, Long Island, is that the veterans who served in Korea, Vietnam, the first Gulf War, all the places that, that, that we had guys who served in, they had gone through the same things I was going through and they had already found the way to navigate it. So they were able to provide advice and provide information to me. That's one of the biggest things that making that connection provides, isn't it? It really is. Um, I've heard plenty of times anecdotally that, you know, previous generations were kind of turned away uh, by, you know, the older veteran group. I didn't, I never experienced that. I've always seen you know, the older generation, whether it's Korean vets, Vietnam vets, Gulf War vets, even earlier um, Iraq or Afghanistan veterans, they said, like, hey, man, welcome aboard and let's chat. Um, you know, finding out their experiences, finding out things like that. That's why, you know, the camaraderie of veteran organizations like the VFW, things like that, because we've all transitioned. It's something that we all have in common. Every single person in the military, you know, every veteran has transitioned out. Uh, so it's it's a you know it's a shared experience we all have. And looking at the guys that are wearing uniforms right now, you know, when those men and women get out, they're going to transition. They're going to go through the same thing that I went through, although a little bit different experiences. Hopefully, better. But you know, these are all things that we all share in common. We're speaking with Pat Murray. He is a Marine Corps veteran and also the Associate Director of National Legislative Service at the VFW, talking about the GI Bill. And another thing I want to talk to you about, Pat, and this is something that uh, if... If this is something that affects you, you're definitely eligible for membership in the VFW, and I know a lot of VFW members are Purple Heart recipients. There have been some changes made to the ability to transfer GI Bill benefits for our wounded warriors. What can you tell us about that? So um, a couple months back, um, DOD dropped some transfer kind of guidelines, restrictions, essentially uh, limiting 
anyone with more than 16 years left uh, a year from now um, that they'll no longer have the ability to transfer. Um, and we, we understand that it's a retention tool and, you know, the DOD's kind of shifted to you need to be deployable or get out. Um, you know, they're super concerned on readiness, those kind of issues. Um, but the, some of the folks that were kind of unintentionally lumped into this were people that got wounded and are now being separated due to those wounds. Um, I don't believe it was ever intentionally done that way. And Secretary Mattis said repeatedly that, you know, they'll take care of that. Just yesterday, they, f- they finally dropped some guidelines saying Purple Heart recipients will not be affected. And if you, you know, were wounded and are being, you know, separated, medically retired, whatever it might be, you can still transfer your GI Bill benefits. You, you won't be held to that four-year additional service burden. Um, that's huge. You know, the VFW has been asking for that. We know other groups were in, you know, calling for that, that these are the folks that literally bled for us. Um, and we need to make sure that they're taken care of. And, you know, thankfully, you know, Secretary of Defense made sure that that was something that was included, that those folks are no longer going to have that uh, standard applied to them. How does it happen that things like that get through? As you said, it wasn't intentional. It was just kind of an oversight. I know the VSOs are, are looking at a lot of legislation. They, they sometimes don't get uh, to see it before it goes through. Do you think that's the problem where these things crop up, where we have these problems that aren't intentional but still have negative consequences? Sure. So uh, one of the, the bigger gripes, I guess, uh, with the, the transferability change that came about um, a couple months ago was that um, it, it just kind of came overnight. Um, I got an email sent to me from someone I work with, and they said, hey, did you know this is coming? And I said, no. Um, So I asked someone else, did you know this is coming? And they said, no. Um, I think that it just being kind of dropped out of the clouds led to a lot of people being a little upset about it. Um, If there had been the opportunity to kind of float the idea out there and, you know, say, like, what do you think about this? Where could we maybe, uh, you know, overlooking something, that's where some of the gaps are picked up. Um, you know, when you, when you offered up to different stakeholders in the community, they might have been able to said earlier, hey, you know, what about these guys and girls? What about the Purple Heart folks? What about this? So that's sometimes where there's a little bit of frustration um, when things just kind of get dropped out of nowhere. Um, thankfully, this is rectified, um, and, you know, we can make sure that things like this in the future, you know, as long as there's people thinking about this, you know, kind of group think we can make sure that we can take care of these problems before they arise. When it comes to transferring GI Bill benefits, that's one of the things uh, that, that's that's kind of a, a bright thing for veterans, I think, the ability to pass on GI Bill benefits you don't use to your children, your spouse, or someone like that. It's not the easiest process. I know I've had some friends who've gone through uh, some difficulty in getting that those benefits transferred to uh, their children specifically. What is the first step someone should take if they decide that that's something that they want to do? The first thing is find out about what the benefit actually is. Um, I know that part of the problem is, you know, we hear this saying all the time, you know, my recruiter lied to me, right? Who who didn't they? Uh, but a lot of times they're being told, hey, if you don't want to use your GI Bill benefit, you can just give it to your kids. And that's not necessarily true. Um, there are service requirements that go along with it. So if that is something you're thinking about that, you know, maybe, you know, using the GI Bill is not for me. Maybe I would like to give it to my husband or wife or children, whatever the case might be. Find out what you need to do in order to do that. A lot of times people start trying to do that when they're out of service. And at that point, it's too late. Um, 
you know, it, there are times when you can walk into, you know, your education office, you know, your career counselor, whoever it might be, and bring the subject up with them. Ask them, if this is something I would like to do, what do I need to do in order to do that? Does it mean I need to serve four more years? Um, so that kind of early engagement, you know, with while you're still in the wearing the uniform is important. Uh, once you get out, if you hadn't already made that decision, then it's too late. And of course, when you do get out, you can go to uh, the veteran representative at your school. If you're going to school or your child is going to school, you can also go to the VSOs, the veteran service organizations. They have service officers who can point you in the right direction if they don't have the right information uh, that you need themselves. Of course, one of those VSOs is the Veterans of Foreign Wars, and we're speaking with their associate director of national legislative service, Pat Murray. Pat is a Marine Corps veteran, and Pat, of course... Congress just getting back into session this week after being gone for a month, essentially. What are some of the big things on the horizon that the legislative service at the VFW is looking at? So there's a, there's a few things that we'd like to see kind of get um, cleaned off the plate. Uh, one of them is uh, the Blue Water Navy um, fix. H.R. 299 uh, is sitting in the Senate right now, and it's set for a markup hearing in uh, maybe about a month. Um, the other one is medical cannabis research for VA. Uh, that's something big that we've been pushing for for a little while now with the opioid crisis, with you know, chronic pain management, things like that, different you know, PTSD issues. We think that that's something that we'd like to see researched and like to see you know, this get passed so VA can actually start working on it. Uh, there's a couple transition bills that you know, transition can, can always be improved. Uh, these are things that are sitting in the Senate right now that we'd like to see kind of taken care of, passed into law. So there's, there's a few things left to do before they head back for their November elections. They do have things left to do. And some of those that you talked about, there is widespread agreement, like the Blue Water Navy issue. Uh, it still boggles my mind that it's going on as long as it has, particularly when there doesn't seem to be any pushback towards fixing this. It's just a disagreement on how exactly to fix it. Similar thing going on with the burn pit issue. How confident are you that those two issues are going to be things that we're able to resolve in the near future, like in the next 12 months or so? Uh, Blue Water Navy, I'm fairly confident that will get passed. Uh, burn pit issue, it, it's similar to the Blue Water Navy. You're right. There's a lot of folks that say breathing in these toxic fumes is bad. Um, but right now, VA, whether it's through their inability to do so, or they don't want to, that, that they're, they're saying there is not enough evidence to start linking some diseases, some illnesses to breathing in these fumes. Um, I can just tell you that breathing in burning plastic, I mean, you don't need to be a doctor to, to agree that that's bad for you. Um, but so Blue Water Navy took forever to get this done, to agree that some of these cancers are due to some of these, uh, the dioxins in the water, we shouldn't be looking to wait 40 years to, for the burn pit issue. Um, it's something that I hope they can be smart enough to get ahead of. But burn pit, I, I don't have much confidence that's getting anything resolved before November. I think that this is going to be we need more research and more research and more studies and more studies. So we're going to need a mountain of evidence before VA can say, yes, this is something that you know is connected, much the same way that Blue Water took a little while. I don't think it'll take 40 years, but... I don't think it's going to happen in the next, you know, few months. Blue it's, Water Navy, though, I think will. 
it's frustrating when you when you see this kind of widespread agreement, even with the politicians. I mean, we talked to Senator Isaacson, who said, hey, Blue Water Navy is an example of what happens when you keep kicking the can down the road. And there are people yeah. who are no longer with us who, uh, you know, were affected by this and any changes that we make, it won't be helping them. We can't allow the same thing to happen uh, in future instances, whether it's burn pits or something else that comes down the road. If someone's out there and they're thinking, you know what, I want to get involved. I want to make sure that my representatives, my senators, my Congress members know that I care about this. How do they go about letting them know? Should they contact a VSO or should they go directly to that representative? Well, so uh, you can always contact a VSO. Um, you know, we have posts, um, you know, almost 6,000 posts around the country in almost every single district. But the most effective way is to actually call your local congressman, call your senator, um, their local offices, uh, the ones that are in your hometown. That's where you're going to get the most engagement because you're a voter. Uh, I can walk across the street and say, I represent 1.7 million members. And they go, okay, any in my district? Yeah. You know, that they, they truly care about their constituents. So, you know, me going across and saying I represent them, but hearing it from their actual constituent is a lot more powerful. And, you know, you can call their D.C. office, but I would recommend calling their local office, calling the one in your town and saying, hey, have you heard about this burn pit issue? Let me send you something. It's, it's the best way to get this movement going. Wise words from Pat Murray, Associate Director of the National Legislative Service at the VFW and Marine Corps veteran. Pat, if people want to find out more about the VFW, what's the website they go to? Uh, www.vfw.org. Um, and there are links on there about how to get involved, um, about you know what it is we do in the community, and you know how to get engaged in our advocacy. Our thanks to Pat Murray from the VFW. Still to come, Flags of Valor and the 9-11 Promise Run in studio to talk to us about that 240-mile relay that companies like UPS, Under Armour, Flags of Valor are participating in. It kicks off this weekend going from D.C. up to Ground Zero. Fantastic event, fantastic conversation coming up after this. Helping military veterans stay connected. We make it easy. We are CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter at ConnectingVets. Welcome back to the morning briefing from Entercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets Every Day is our slogan, and it is, in fact, what we do. And I'll tell you why we do it. It's because each and every member of our team knows what it's like to have worn the uniform. Just importantly, we know what it's like to have taken it off for that last time. The struggles, the obstacles, the difficulties that you can face when you get out of the military, our team is here working hard, tirelessly, some might say, every day to make sure that you have the information, the data, the assistance that you need and we'll try to be entertaining occasionally, too. Go check out ConnectingVets.com 15, 20 times a day. And be sure to follow us on all social media platforms. We are at ConnectingVets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Right now, we have a returning guest in the studio, and he brought a brand new guest along with him. The returning guest is the founder of Flags of Valor, Brian Stortz. And the new guest is Jen DePoto, the founder of the 9-11 Promise Run. So, good morning, Brian. Good morning, Jen. 
Good morning, Eric. Good morning, Eric. Thank you for having us. Brian, we've already talked to you before. This is old news. I mean, yeah, it was like a year ago, so some people who heard it may have forgotten. But give us the brief rundown of your time in the military. You're one of these weirdos who served in two different branches, right? I was. I came from a small but big military family, served in the Army pre-9-11 as an uh, airborne infantry guy in the 82nd Airborne. Um, Got out, went to college, and then, you know, when college was happening, 9-11 happened, and I remember where I was at 8.46 a.m. in macroeconomics, and that's the only thing I remember about macroeconomics was that I was there during 9-11, and uh, well, I was upset like most and walked across the street of campus and asked how I can serve again and join the Air Force. So had an opportunity to be an Air Force Special Operations pilot for 14 years. And after you got out, you faced some struggles uh, leaving the Air Force, and during that time, as you were kind of uh, ending your time in the Air Force, is when actually Flags of Valor first began. You started actually working on wood in your garage and not very well from what I remember of our first Correct. discussion. Yeah, I got injured on my eighth deployment and after I had spinal surgery, I was, you know, recovering and rehabbing and I didn't wear my uniform anymore and I didn't have my flag on my shoulder and I just wanted something cool for my house, but also um, something to mentally help me get over some, you know, rabbit holes that I was going down and never thought I would. So kind of stumbled into woodworking and taking raw materials and painting it and found that very therapeutic and, and launched Flags of Valor. Flags of Valor, if you've ever been to the Connecting Vet Studios, we have a Flags of Valor flag that Brian presented to us the first time we interviewed him. It's been sitting in the studio of our window uh, since the day that it came in here. A beautiful flag, and I've been... Uh, uh, honored to see you present those flags at several other events, including the Military Times Service Member of the Year Awards and most recently at the uh, Purple Hearts Reunited event in Washington, D.C. at the Fleet Reserve Officers Association. So along with creating these beautiful products that people can find on your website, flagsofvalor.com, you guys are also quite involved in the veteran community and making sure that, you know, these these beautiful pieces of art, because that's really what they are, they're not just a product, are, are given to people who would really appreciate them and given to people on these very special occasions. Why is that so important for you to do? Well, I think the first flag I ever created, um, I donated to a spouse of, of one of the, you know, one of our brothers in arms that, that uh, passed away. And, and that feeling, that philanthropic feeling of giving someone something and not asking for anything in return was awesome. And I didn't want to forget that. So besides empowering and employing and remembering our veterans um, by hiring them and, and giving back is really important to us. We always wanted to do that, whether that was raising almost a million dollars in three years uh, for some great organizations or just giving back by, by donating some of our art and woodwork, uh, you know, materials and stuff to other great organizations. And, and also why we're here today. With Jen DePoto from the 9-11 Promise Run, who, as I understand, it comes from a family that's uh, closely aligned with a group that many veterans feel a close affinity to and uh, really a kinship with, that being the first responder community. So, Jen, tell me just a little bit about yourself and your background, and then tell me a little bit about the 9-11 Promise Run as well. Yeah, thanks, Eric. So I come from a family of first responders. I'm a native to the Washington, D.C. area. And, uh, you know, three years ago, uh, when it was the 15th anniversary of 9-11, I was training for a half Ironman that was over in Cambridge, Maryland. And I really felt a calling to do something uh, to help make such a tragic moment in our nation's history and turn it into something good. And, uh, you know, I had struggled with faith for a lot of years. And and when I was sitting on my bike trainer, I just honestly felt something calling me to do something. And I was like, I think I'm going to run to New York and I think I'm going to raise some money for charity and started thinking, well, I I don't want to do this by myself. I've been given some gifts. I want to 
involve other people and unite as many people and again turn something tragic into something good. And so I threw the idea across to some friends and uh, the first year it was only a group of seven of us, me being one. And uh, this year we have 62 runners and seven teams. 62 runners, seven teams going 240 miles in a relay up to New York City. I'm from the New York City metropolitan area. We lived on Long Island before we moved down to Maryland. I don't like doing that drive. How is the run going to be for those teams? <laughs> you know, it, it's actually, it's almost as if you're, that that moment, those three days that we take to do it, you don't feel any pain. It's camaraderie. You are empowering communities that we run through. You're uniting people. The run is completely supported by firehouses and police departments. So it gives us an opportunity to stop at various firehouses, thank them for what they do for the local community, allow them to connect with the runners and the runners are, it's a group of people from all different backgrounds. So it's really an opportunity to kind of slice so many different slices of our community, bring everybody together, kind of like how we all did right after 9-11. And of course, that day, as, as Brian said, he remembers where he was. I know where I was. I was on board the USS Saipan in, in the indoctrination class, actually teaching public affairs skills to some newly arrived sailors when uh, uh, the guy who ran the class came in and said, hey, don't you have family in New York City? And I said, yep. So a plane just flew into the World Trade Center, and I thought to myself, uh, that's odd. It's happened before, though. I remember uh, Corey Lytle, an MLB pitcher, a plane that he was on crashing into a building. It's happened a few times. Then he came back in a few minutes later and said, all right, cancel the class, send them back to their departments. This is something big. Another plane just hit the other tower, and we started to realize what was going on. That was something that the military saw from a distance, the first responders saw it up close and personal. First responders from New York City and in the following days from the entire tri-state area, Jersey, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, everybody coming down into the city to help out and do what they can. All these years later, do you worry that people have forgotten about what that was like for us? I know with, with some kids today, I mean, there are 18-year-olds who don't remember this happening. They were a, a year old when it happened, essentially. 100%. I think that's a huge reason for the run is, is I think, you know, the country is always going to be a target and there it, we shouldn't forget what happened. We always need to stay vigilant. The last several years, uh, I've asked every runner to raise $1,000 for a charity that I choose this year. Uh, and they were a recipient last year is a national nonprofit, Hope for the Warriors. So it's a military veteran based uh, national nonprofit. Moving forward, I just got blessed by the IRS to be my own charity and uh, so we'll be raising money for scholarships of kids of first responders and military. And the reason for that is I want kids to always go to school, get educated so they can continue to be vigilant. They can remember to honor um, and, and keep our country safe. You've done this before, obviously. Uh, there's a big cross-section between the first responder and veteran communities. A lot of veterans get out, become police officers, become firefighters, become EMTs. How has their response been in the previous uh, promise runs for to what you guys are doing? Yeah, you know, the, the first responders that are involved, uh, though I haven't been able to convince any of them to run yet, um, they support us so much. And when we show up at a firehouse, whether they're providing a water stop or we stay at firehouses at night, the amount of thanks that we get, it's incredible. It, it, it stuns me because we're there to thank them and they just appreciate us recognizing what they do on a daily basis. Um, and especially as we get closer to New York, as we get closer to that tri-state area, 
so many of them did respond. And so I think it's very therapeutic for them to see that people are still remembering, still honoring those lives lost. Um, you know, it's, it impacts them as much as it impacts the runners. It impacts a lot of people. And what's going on with the 9-11 Promise Run is truly one of those great things. It's bringing a lot of wonderful attention to an issue. We're speaking with Jen DePoto, the founder of the 9-11 Promise Run, as well as Brian Stortz, founder and CEO of Flags of Valor. Brian, how did you become associated and familiar with the 9-11 Promise Run? Are you one of the people running 240 <laughs> miles? We are. I mean, part of uh, so I met Jen and heard about this amazing um, you know run that she puts on every year. And uh, we thought, what what a better way to give back than to not only have a team in it, but to to ping our network now that we've been blessed with, and and so getting UPS involved, which I think has two teams running, yep. um, Under Armour, which is a partner of our company, has done a lot with us to 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 donate some of their apparel for Jen's run, yep. um, and and just to be able to help her grow this um, has been an, it's really cool. Now I might change my mind. <laughs> um, on Tuesday based on how I feel, but, but I will know that, you know, at 846 on, on 9-11, I'm definitely going to know what I'm doing that morning because I'm going to be running for a great cause. There are uh, no shortage of wonderful things happening around that day. And I think each one of them deserves attention. And of course, the promise run is going to be something that people can actually go out and see for themselves. You apparently, I'm going to double check on this, but from what we were talking about, are going to be running by the development that I live in coming up this weekend. If people are interested in finding out what the route is and going out and saying hello or cheering you guys on or asking Brian Stortz why he's lagging so far behind, how do they go about doing that? Yeah, so uh, we're on social media, so they can check the Facebook page, 9-11 Promise Run. I'm going to post the route so that folks can certainly go and, and stand on the streets and you know, with flags, whatever they want, cowbells, whatever, and cheer the runners on. We go through a lot of different areas. And from a runner's perspective, it's cool. They get to see industrial parks, farm country, college campuses, all sorts of different things. So we start out at the Pentagon. We run through D.C. We run up through Maryland. We, went, we run right through Baltimore. Uh, and then we keep going up to Elkton. Major cities are Wilmington, Delaware, Philly, uh, Trenton, and all the way into New York. Who is taking part in this event? Is it all, as Brian was saying, I mean, heard UPS, Flags of Valor, Under Armour. Are there individuals who are taking part in it, or is it a fully a team and corporate-sponsored type event? Yeah, so it's seven teams made up of active-duty military, veterans, a lot of government contractors, private practice folks, age range. I think our youngest runner is 23 years old. Our oldest runner is in their 60s. Um, men, women, we actually have a number of husband and wife pairs, which I think are awesome, you know, cause that's just showing their kids, you know, Hey, always remember and honor. Um, so it, it really runs the gamut. That's awesome to hear that there are so many people taking part and they come from all walks of life. It sounds like it's not like these are just, uh, as you said, you've been trying to get the first responders to take part, but I haven't been able to convince them. Uh, good luck trying to get the military vets to do it as well. Other than, you know, those in shape folks like Brian, you're not getting me to run 200. I see you shaking your head. This well, is radio. I, mean, I was it doesn't just going to say, and I told Jen this, I mean, I, I hate to run. Oh, I despise I it. it. And, it's the um, worst. You know, I was forced to do it in the army and then not so much in the air force, obviously, but yeah, um, you guys have chauffeurs for everything you right, do in the Air Force. Force. Yeah, yeah, yeah. fly around airport. golf carts. Yeah. <laughs> right. So um, when when I started thinking about this, uh, it seemed like a, a great fit. It's going to force us out of our comfort zone to really support such an incredible cause. So 
I think whatever, I mean, we've endured as a country, um, we can do it as a runner in three days. It's a small price to pay to be able to, to do something so good for, for gens, for the Nyland Promise Run, for veterans, for military, for just America in general. Is there going to be a way, Jen, as they're making their way from D.C. up to New York City? Is there going to be a way for people on the side who, who happen to see the teams moving along to know what they're doing? Or are they just going to think, oh, there's a bunch of people running along like crazy people and yeah. looks like they're not stopping? <laughs> They'll think that for sure. <laughs> Although the communities, I think, have come to kind of recognize us, especially as we get to the tri-state area. One thing that um, I do that I think is really cool is I give uh, what's called the flag of honor. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. It's the flag that was born out of 9-11 where it has the name of every life lost. Uh, and every team has that flag. And as they are changing out runners, that flag is always out there on the road. So we are visible. And that's a good thing. And, of course, also want to be visible and safe as you're going along absolutely. on this run. Uh, yeah, Brian's running. He's like, yeah, absolutely yeah. we do. We're going to be safe, right? Uh, that's got to be an issue as well. I mean, running up Route 1, essentially, as you were telling me, is the main route, the old post road that used to run from Boston down to, well, D.C., essentially. Um, what are the safety precautions that you have to take to make sure that your team's okay as they run 240 miles on the open road? You know, thankfully, we run on a lot of sidewalk. There are certainly areas where the runners are running on a shoulder. Uh, I do think that the flag poses like help for them to be visible. I've asked all the runners to certainly wear reflective vests. Uh, and the, the van is never far away from, from the runner. So it, we run it as a relay. So the runner will jump out and say, I'm going to run four miles right now. So the van has a choice of whether, whether to go up four miles or still stay within eyesight of the runner. That way, everybody feels safe. We're speaking with Jen DePoto. She's the founder of the 9-11 Promise Run. Brian Stortz is the founder and CEO of Flags of Valor. 9-11 Promise Run taking place this weekend. So a little bit late for people to sign up and take part in the run. But for those who are hearing about this, and obviously you just got a charity status from the IRS, as you were telling us, this is not something that's ending this year. This is going to continue on into the future. If people hear this and they're interested in taking part in future editions of the run, what's the process they need to go through and who should be looking to take part in the Promise Run? I think as many people as possible should really honestly consider it. It's something that I think it's a, it's a life-changing experience, and it allows them to experience something but also inspire people around them. Uh, so the website is 911promiserun.com. They can certainly go there. They'll learn about the, the run. They can sign up and register there. Moving forward, uh, the vision I have is for us to include the, the third site in Shanksville. So I would really love to be able to establish relationships where I have teams going from D.C. to New York as well as D.C. to Shanksville. That's the spot kind of, that people forget about oftentimes. 100%. I was able to actually connect with the Flight 93 Memorial and got permission to take all of the names from Flight 93 and give those names to a runner this year. So every runner is actually running in honor of someone that was on that flight. Wow. It's really... Uh, got to be an emotional event too having taken part in it before i mean what's that experience been like when you get up to uh, anyone who's been driven through the northeast corridor you get up to where manhattan first comes into view and for those of us who remember the trade center and like for me every, every time people visited we'd take them to the top of the trade center because it was faster than going up the statue of liberty and you had a better view from up there then seeing it gone the next time that I drove up, I think it was October of 2001 when I drove up, seeing it not there and seeing the uh, beams of light. Of course, now you've got the uh, the new uh, World Trade Center up there. 
What's that experience like when you come around the bend and you first see the skyline of Manhattan during the run? You know, it, it's it's everybody experiences a moment at some point during those three days, whether it's at the start, whether it's in the middle, whether it's as we get close to New York. Um, my personal experience was from the first year where I was running. I was in New Jersey somewhere and I was carrying the flag of honor and a woman drove up next to me in tears. And so I stopped running and she explained how she had just lost her son in Afghanistan. And so, you know, you see that impact that you're having on just people that are driving past you. And then as we get to New York, we take the Port Imperial Ferry over to Midtown West 39th Street. And right. that's three miles south of the, the Ground Zero. And I line up every one and twos, and I organize it to where it's active duty military first, then it's veterans and first responders, and then everybody else falls behind. And those three miles are incredibly emotional. There's a lot of tears, um, it, and it's also a lot of silence. And as we, it, it, that's a multi-purpose path. I'm sure you recall last year where there was uh, a guy who ran his pickup truck down that. Yeah, path. killed a bunch of people. I was I was working at a news station in New York at the time, and it was a horrible day and a horrible event. Yeah, yep. we run that same bike path, and so we're running with you know, people walking their dogs and people biking on that path. And so to kind of give that empowerment and resiliency to New York, it's awesome. New York City is a, an amazing place, having grown up just outside of it, having worked in it for a couple of years prior to moving down here to Washington, D.C. It's also a place that is the site of the worst attack in our country's history, uh, the worst terrorist attack in our country's history, I should say. That being, of course, the September 11th, 2001 attacks on the World Trade Center. We're talking with Jen DePoto, founder of the 9-11 Promise Run, and Brian Stortz, founder and CEO of Flags of Valor, about that run. You know, Brian, when your team decided to get involved in this, well, first off, which members of the Flags of Valor team are taking part in it beyond yourself? We know that you're doing it. Was it an easy decision for your team to make to actually get, get involved in oh, the Promise 100%. Run? 100%. I mean, anything that we can get behind supporting this great cause in, in our country and being very very patriotic, it, it's, an, it's an, easy, uh, an easy decision for us. Um, we've got four other craftsmen veterans that are running with us. Uh, we've got our vice president running with us. We've got um, our customer service front office, Julie's running with us and her husband. So um, we even have my nephew running, who is an incredible story. I don't know if we have time for a quick story. Of yeah, we I'm sure running. do. We got about five minutes. So Jen left. doesn't even know this story. Um, so my sister was in the Navy and, and right before she went in the Navy, she had a child and ended up giving her child up for adoption. So I have a nephew. Um, as he grew up, uh, you know, he's 22, he's in college, UC Irvine. Uh, he wants to connect with his mom, his biological mother, and he reaches out through Facebook. They connect. Um, my sister, they end up not talking for a while, and he doesn't know what's going on, so he Googles her name and finds out that she passed away, and she had mm. passed in between two of my deployments. Um, and so that was really hard for me. That's something that I've kind of compartmentalized. It's been tough for me to deal with. But I do, like anything else, Beyonce, put it in the box to the left and don't worry about it, right? Because right. um, that's what we do in the military. We compartmentalize. Um, so I got a call, you know, maybe a year after that he found out she passed and, and we connected and we haven't met yet. Um, we still haven't met to this day. Um, and that's been, what, six years ago. And so I've been kind of putting it off because I don't want to kind of relive those emotions, but I need to as a, right. you know, as a man and as a person for growth and everything else. So this race, uh, this run, sorry, is actually going to be the first time we meet each other, and we're meeting each other because of the 9-11 run. Wow. 
That's amazing. So he's going to be on our team, running with Team F, you know, Flags of Valor with us in Jen's 9-11 Promise run, and it's just a really cool story. The first meeting face-to-face of That's two right. relatives, including a, a veteran who was uh, injured on a deployment, Brian Stortz, the founder of Flags of Valor. Quick question about that. Jen, he just said race. It's not a race, but it is a relay. So what's the format of it? Is everybody running 240 miles total, or are the teams kind of spread out over the distance that they're supposed to be doing? How's it actually do, uh, being done formatically? So each team will run 240 miles, and I let them choose how they split up the miles. You know, there, there's other relay runs out there that dictate, hey, you have to run a six-mile segment here, an eight-mile segment there. And I didn't want to put any of that stress or pressure on any runner because uh, it is not it is not a race. Like, I don't care who gets to the firehouse first. Nobody cares because it's that's not what this is about. Right. So if we were all on a team, we would be in a van and I would jump out of the van and maybe I'm feeling good right then and there. So I'm like, I'm going to run six miles. So I run six miles. When I meet the van, you maybe have just done a a six miler and you're like, I'm not feeling so good. I'm just going to go out for two. Okay. And then we kind of do hopscotch all the way to the firehouses where we stay at night. Which from a person that doesn't run a lot until now (laughs) is very nice to be as a person participating in the run to not have to worry about, okay, I got to run eight miles straight at a, you know, 730 pace and it's, it's all good. Like we will figure it out like we always do. And it's very stress-free. That does sound good. And now uh, next year, maybe I will take part. I'll run like a mile for my team each yeah, day. There yeah. you go. One mile <laughs> each day. Right. And then I'll be the guy uh, sitting on the sidelines with like a six pack going, good job. Good <laughs> job with all the running that you're doing. There it goes. Yeah. Well, of course, if people want to find out more about the 9-11 Promise Run, you already talked about the website, but let's say it again. If they're interested in finding more out about it, what's the website and what are the social media contacts that people can check out? www.911promiserun.com. We're on Facebook. Uh, Twitter and Instagram. There you go. And you can check out the 9-11 Promise Run at all those places. Of course, Flags of Valor still creating amazing pieces of artwork that, despite being such great art, uh, that some of quite museum quality, I would say, they're available for purchase. And you can get them. They make great gifts for the veteran and first responder and proud American in your life. If people want to find out more about the products that you guys have made over at Flags of Valor, which, uh, from what I've seen at the recent events, is actually uh, uh, widened since the last time we spoke. It sounds like you guys have some more stuff going on over over there. Where do people go to find out more about the Flags of Valor team, the, the veterans over there and the products they're creating? We have, you know, our, our e-commerce at flagsofvalor.com and then um, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Flags of Valor. And we're also going to be constantly updating on the run the whole time and helping the 9-11 Promise run through their Instagram, kind of grow their audience. That is really Great. And it's great to see so many organizations working together. As you said, UPS has a team in this, Under Armour, a lot of great people taking part in what is a great event, the 9-11 Promise Run. You've been listening to The Morning Briefing here on Entercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer. ConnectingVets.com is your website, and we mean that. Each and every day, our team comes into work putting out content that we think can help you and help you live that best veteran life the best way to be kept abreast of everything that's going on there, follow us on social media. We are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. One little click on your mouse or tap on your phone, and you can be one step closer to living that best veteran life. And that does it for this week, actually, a short Labor Day week. This Friday edition of the show has been a pleasure, and we'll be back bright and early on Monday morning to be with you again. So stay safe, have a great weekend. 
If you're on the route for the 9-11 Promise Run, say hello to them, and we'll see you again on Monday. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.